The real lessons are learned from failure. We follow this theme leading into episode four of this podcast, where we interview wonderful entrepreneurs from around the world weekly on the worst deals they've ever been a part of. Welcome to the Worst Deal Ever podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vicky Virtual Receptionist, we make you look good on the phone. We are also sponsored by Kara Virtual Assistant. You need stuff done, let Kara help. For more information about Vicky Virtual and Kara, please visit the link provided on our website at www.theworkdealpodcast.com. For our fourth episode, we sit down with Derek Crichton, a corporate rock star turned jaded employee that used the negative experience as a catalyst to beginning his entrepreneurial journey. Derek is a service business entrepreneur like myself, but he has an interesting way of approaching new businesses. I believe this interview will resonate with a lot of our listeners who are still a part of corporate America. Let's welcome Derek Crichton. Hey Derek, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. Well, thanks again for being on episode four of this podcast. Oh, you're welcome very much. Yeah, so Derek is a former corporate guy. He was uh, working a variety of sales and marketing roles for 12 years at Procter & Gamble. Started a few entrepreneurial ventures on the side. The second he was able to sell, from there he's just been starting, (laughs) I can't even count how many companies at this point. But I'm really excited to hear what you have to say today. And hopefully we can just dive in. Okay, sounds great. Good, good. So, uh, you know, I got the first question for you. I, I think we met, what was it, on the, uh, like, Groove Learning or Launch 27 Facebook group? Exactly, yep, that's exactly where we met. And then you have a cleaning company that you sold a few years ago called, uh, what was it? My, My Maid uh, Service. My Maid Service. So, yeah, pretty generic type of name that makes you want to uh, feel like a, the official maid service I should be booked. Nothing fancy. Yep. So yeah, tell me a, a bit about your story, uh, I guess, over the last five, six years, and we'll go from there. Sure. Well, like you said, I used to work in corporate America, and I guess we're getting a little more detail and a little bit of why that stopped. But when I decided I wanted to go out on my own, I was still a little nervous. So like a lot of people, I wanted to do something on the side. Now, uh, I'm old, so you know, <laughs> this is back around 96. So what I did is... I purchased an existing business, which was a dog daycare and boarding business. Mm -hmm. And I actually ran that business while I still had my corporate job. I was working at Procter & Gamble at the time and did it on the side. Because when you work for a big company, sometimes you start to wonder, am I actually any good or, you know, is it the team I'm with? You know, in some ways it can sap your confidence sometimes of, is it me or is it my company? Who? Am I really good or is it just the folks I'm working around? And so I I bought an existing business that was in kind of rough shape and I thought I could do good things with it. And on the side, nights and weekends, I took that company and tripled its size and sold it. And I was like, okay, I am good at this. And you know what? I enjoy this entrepreneurial thing. So I, yeah, it was really pretty cool. And I was uh, very excited about it. So um, I used that money, quit the company and bought another company, which was my maid service. 
grew it, sold it in 2015 for a pretty good amount of money and revenue stream for five more years after selling it. So not only did I get a check, but I got five years of royalty payments. Really? And since, yep, since then I've also done a couple of other things. So I just kind of kept leveraging up. I started with a small company that I sold and used that to buy a slightly larger company, used that to buy a slightly larger company. And uh, now, like you said, I, I've been investing in other people. So at this point, I, I got to the point which they always talk about where your money's working more than you are. I'm finding mm -hmm. a lot of really bright, smart people with cool business ideas and helping them get started and giving them some funding. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a great position to be in. And I, I remember you saying something recently about using your IRA as an investment vehicle. Yeah, I have a uh, self-directed IRA, and everyone thinks they have a self-directed IRA because they can call Schwab and tell them what stock to buy. <laughs> but a self-directed IRA is actually a type of IRA where you can invest in anything. Well, not anything. You're forbidden from buying collectibles. But uh -huh. if you can own shares of a company like Procter & Gamble, which is basically a corporation, you can also own shares in a privately owned corporation. Mm -hmm. Now, there's some rules and restrictions around it. You can't actively work in the business. You know, the IRS doesn't want you hiding your uh, income in an IRA. But like I said, in my case, there are several companies that I have invested funds in that there are people who run it day to day. And all I do is sit on the board and provide them some money. Mm -hmm. And that sits in my IRA. And as that company grows, and I eventually get distributions and the company eventually sells, in a Roth IRA, that's all tax-free. I'll never pay taxes on that income. Awesome. So the distribution go directly into the IRA. Right. The bad news is you can't touch it until your retirement age. Mm -hmm. But the good news is uh, you'll never pay you'll never pay taxes on it again. That's the great thing about a Roth IRA. And so you know where most people are happy making eight, 10%, uh, I try to make about 20% or better return in my IRA. And as you know, with compounding interest, that means about every four years, my money doubles. Yeah, so it's, a, it's you, a tremendous amount of money. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can get to pretty big numbers pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Uh, so essentially, it's a, a Roth self-directed IRA. Yep, exactly. Okay. Well, thanks for that tidbit. Yeah, what else? You know, what, what has been your experience? I know you uh, purchased a company earlier this year. Yeah, this year I actually did something a little bit different. I purchased my first franchised company. Up until now, I've always bought independent companies, but I bought a franchise, which was Handyman Connection here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And same thing, though. When I'm looking to buy a company, I'm looking for a company that I think is damaged in some basic way that I think I can fix. And if I could fix it, the sky would become the limit. So whether that was the dog daycare or boarding business, the maid service, or now Handyman Connection, I'm looking for something where I understand the problem. And the really interesting thing with this company is when I was looking at it, it was really obvious to me that their problem was the owner had the cost structure all wrong. He had okay. way too much money in overhead. He was paying too much for certain things and I could quickly see that God you know if you fixed a couple things here this thing would be a cash cow and so that's what I've done for the last three months is try to get costs in line and things are going great awesome well great work so you know the, the main thing is try to remind myself as well as any guest as early as possible that of course this is the worst deal podcast so you know you've had a tremendous amount of success most people just don't get to where you're at and I always respect people that are doing it. So, you know, I understand you had some failures along the way, though. Of course, lots of them. My first enterprise actually failed. The first entrepreneurial venture I tried to do was a company called TheAquaticShop.com, where we sold pet supplies 
primarily fish related supplies obviously mm -hmm. over the internet and unfortunately that once again i'm dating myself but pets.com opened up two months after <laughs> me and pets.com for those of you that may not remember it or know it because it predates you purposely lost billions of dollars by selling pet supplies under cost and it's awful hard to compete with somebody with billions of dollars of marketing budget who's purposely losing money so right. that was my first venture to go down and in some ways i really regret shutting it down because pets.com only lasted 18 months and if i could have just held on I knew what they were doing was unsustainable. Who knows? I could have had a, uh, a different path and an internet empire around pet supplies, but uh, right. that was that was one of my failures. But probably the biggest one for me was the one that made me leave corporate America. Is that kind of, would that make the most sense to talk about today? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I kind of mentioned I worked at Procter and Gamble for 12 years, and my original goal was I wanted to be CEO of the company. I was the guy who wanted to get the Harvard MBA, wanted to go to Wharton. That was the path I wanted to be on. Mm -hmm. And I was put in charge of a project to find a new software system for our contract management. Now, I'm not going to get too geeky, but basically in the food service space, big companies like Burger King negotiate contract prices with their providers. And so those providers have to have software to keep track of who gets what price. Mm -hmm. And we had this ancient system, even back then it was ancient, built on digital VAX, and it was my job to replace it. They gave me a $300,000 budget to do it. So okay. I went out and found a company that actually our pharmaceutical divisions at P&G use called iMany, i-many, and they made software to manage pharmaceutical contracts. And doing a little research, I figured out that this software that the company was already using in one division could be used in another division to manage the food service contracts. So I just said, hey, you know, let's use the software already using within the company. So I did a little more research on it, and I found out that this company was pre-IPO and they were planning on going public, mm -hmm. and they had about an 85 to 90% share of the pharma industry. So basically, whether it's AstraZeneca or Merck, they manage their contracts using iMini software. And these guys were trying to go public, and I figured out, well, this is interesting. These guys so, are trying to go public. Go ahead. So yeah, so what you're saying is, a uh, software that Procter and Gamble was already using when you looked into this iMoney. Yep. They were they were using it at the time in a separate division, the pharmaceutical division. And so you decided to say, Hey, let's explore this as an option for your assigned division. Yep. So I figured out the software could work and I did some research on the company and I figured out that they were trying to go public. And I'm a, one of the things I'm pretty good at is strategy. So I just kind of thought it through and said, well, gosh, these guys are trying to go public and they already have a 90% share of the industry they're in. So that's not a real good story to go to Wall Street with. Hey, you know, we're going public and we already have 90% of the industry. Look at us, invest in us. Who wants to invest in that company? What's right. their upside potential? So I approached the company and explained to them that, hey, listen, your software, which you sell in the pharmaceutical industry, also works in the food service industry, which, by the way, is about 20 times bigger than the pharmaceutical industry. No matter how big you may think pharma is, trust me, we spend about 20 times more on food. And right. so when I explained this to him, hey, you know, your software could use be used in this industry, and why don't you bring it over and – you know, I'll teach you everything you need to know to customize your software to work for food service. You've only got to make a couple tweaks. It'll help you enter a new industry, and that'll help you guys go public. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I basically told them to give me a proposal. So mm -hmm. I had a meeting with them, and they basically they came and offered us stock options equivalent to about 10% of their company. Wow. Um, 
yeah, it was a huge percentage of stock options. In return, they wanted to be able to use the P&G name and take me on their roadshow in front of investors and explain to investors, you know, that this software works and look, here's this big company, Procter & Gamble, in the food service space, et cetera. We also got a revenue share and we got the software for free. So here I was sent out to spend $300,000 and right. instead – I got the software for free and 10% of the company, which we were, I guess, not buying the software from, using the software for free from. And it was kind of a fun meeting to go back in with my vice president at the time and explain to him that, hey, here's your $300,000 back. And by the way, we own 10% of the company now. And it was a really pretty cool deal. And you can go out there and Google Procter & Gamble and iMini. I posted it online, some of the contracts and stuff we did. Mm -hmm. And so the company did actually eventually go public. It really did help the roadshow to be able to claim they entered a new space. They went public. And P&G ended up making about 15 to $20 million of profit off of it. Plus, they got the software for free. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's a pretty cool deal, and I was pretty excited about it. I mean, here I'd pulled off some pretty cool stuff, right? So, and this was off the top of my head. So, so far, I, it's kind of hard to understand how it was kind of the worst deal I ever made. What happened is two things. The first thing that happened is there was a little party, and they gave me what are called recognition shares. And recognition shares are basically stock options, and they gave me 50 stock options. I want you to, that's worth maybe $2,000. Wow. So here I am going, well, wait a minute. You just gave me a $300,000 budget, which not only did I not spend, I brought you back 10 million, uh, not 10 million, $15 million off of an idea I had, pure profit. I'm like, guys, what? But they then kind of said, well, you know what? It's not, I get it. You understand though, this is going to open the door for you to get exposure and move into the C-level offices of Procter and Gamble and all that kind of stuff. So, huh. all right, fine. Well, they were true to their word. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, there was an event held at the chief financial officer's house for Procter and Gamble. So I was invited to a party at his house in my honor. So it was the chief financial officer, the chief technology officer, the vice president of my division, a couple level other C-level officers. So not the CEO, but the guys who sit right under him. There was five of these people there and their spouses and my wife and I were invited to this party. And so we go to this house in the nice part of town and it was weird. It's the strangest event experience I've had in my life. I'm at this party with the C-level officers of my company decorating Christmas ornaments and making small talk and it none of the wives work and it's clear all they do is have these little house parties. You know, they're talking, they're gossiping about, oh, did you go to Beth's party next week and are you going to Sue's party the week after that? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really awkward and strange and once again, I'm dating myself, but this was the night that Gore gave his concession speech back in 2000. <laughs> and yeah, they started to mock Al Gore and were making jokes about him and not being very friendly towards him. Mm. And then one of the weirdest moments for the night for me was when the host of the party took us to her garage and showed us this giant wooden statue of an ice cream cone. It was eight feet tall. Car hand carved wood statue of an ice cream cone. An and, ice cream cone? An ice cream cone. And she explained to us that basically it was a gag gift that she and her husband on a date at some point in time, some, there was something, I don't even remember the whole story, but there was some joke about an ice cream cone. Hmm. So she had this 10 foot tall statue of an ice cream cone hand carved out of wood for $10,000 as a gag gift that she fully intended to throw out after Christmas. That's wasteful. And it was wasteful, and 
it's hard to describe how awkward this party was for my wife and I. You know, my wife's an engineer. She went to Stanford. She's a really smart lady, and she's around with all these sort of housewives talking about what party they're going to next week and talking really horrible things about anyone who's a Democrat in front of two Democrats. Mm. So it was just a very uncomfortable experience. Here, I my whole life wanted to kind of be a C-level officer, and now I was kind of invited to the inner circle. And I kind of looked around and went, I don't want this. I don't want an endless life of these stupid dinner parties. I mean, sitting around painting Christmas ornaments with the chief financial officer of the company. I'm like, do you guys not have anything better to do? Because this is just weird. This is strange. Yeah. Why are we Why are we doing this? How and How the, large? How many employees were at uh, PNG at the time? I think they're about a hundred and twenty thousand. Oh, it was huge. Oh yeah, Procter and Gamble's like a top ten company. They're massive. Yeah. So it was a really, really weird experience. It was actually funny because you know my wife was a trooper through the whole thing, and as we left that night, she was like, "Oh well, that was really nice of them. You know, what did you think of it?" And I and that's when I said, "Oh my God, that was really uncomfortable." And she's like, "Oh thank God, I thought I was about <laughs> to get divorced from you because if that was my future, we were not staying married." <laughs> so, so that was an interesting deal for me because. I had worked so hard and pulled this deal off where they made all this money and I got everything I ever wanted and I ended up with a couple of 50 stock options and to see what my future could be, I didn't like my future. Right. You know, My future was a never-ending series of these cheesy dinner parties with people doing wasteful, stupid things with money. Just, I mean, all of the stereotypes you would have of the ultra-rich, I was like, oh my God, they're true. <laughs> Right. And I'm sitting here with these people. And I always kind of wonder about it because, you know, P&G actually keeps this list of promotion candidates. And I'm sure I was on that list. I wouldn't have gotten invited to, the, you know, this top level officer's house party at 25 if I wasn't. But I'm sure to this day someone's going, whatever happened to that guy? We had such high hopes for him. And I'm like, you scared the shit out of me is what happened. You know, <laughs> you, yeah. you showed me my future and I didn't like it. So, I, yeah, I didn't have exactly the same experience, but I did have a time where I was introduced to really sort of high level corporate people within a company I was at. And I did not envy them at all. Yeah, no, my dad was on the board of a sort of a mid-level company. So I'd been exposed to officers before, but nothing at that level of, you know, sort of success. Mm -hmm. They were nice guys and everything, but these guys, this was just an entirely different world. This was the culture, people go to the country club and, you know, all that type of stuff. And it was all just there in front of me. And it was supposed to get me excited and be like, wow, I could buy $10,000 gag gifts too. And instead I was like, wow, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. So imagine what you could have done with that that would have been more productive to society and to business and to everything else. And some artist somewhere who spent probably a month creating that, and you're going to throw it away after Christmas. Right, right. So, yeah, that 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 was the deal that made me go, you know what? I got to go out on my own. The thing that I've wanted my whole life, I don't want anymore. I don't want that. That That's not a good life. So you went from not necessarily caring about entrepreneurship to saying to pivoting. Yeah, it your was, dreams. 
yeah, my, I mean, I've always loved business. So that has always been constant. You know, right. business to me is my contact sport. I love business. I love being able to get out there and strategize and think ahead. And like that deal I pulled off with iMany, I loved every minute of figuring out how to pull that deal together. What did they need? What did I have? How could we create a win-win? Because at the end of the day, as much money as we got, iMany was pretty darn happy with that deal too because they went public and all those guys made a whole lot of money too. Right. So everyone wanted in that deal and I've always loved business but I kind of that was the moment where I discovered I don't like corporations or at least not big corporations that is not what I want to do anymore so yeah I kind of had to figure out what was going to happen next and that's when I started thinking all right I got to do something different and looked at entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and while there my last two years at P&G I owned that dog daycare and boarding business on the side like a lot of people I was scared and tentative and afraid of leaving the safety and success I'd had. So I, it was kind of my little side hustle to make sure make sure it would work. And when it did, that's when I finally had the confidence to jump. Right. I think there's a lot of people that want it to be in that situation. You know, there's a lot that they want the comfort and they don't even start something on the side. Yep. So you at yep. least did that, made it work. Well, it is definitely scary. It's hard to leave. And, you know... I'm lucky enough that I was married to my wife who did carry the benefits and stuff. So the good news was I wouldn't lose my health insurance or anything. So it was a little less scary for me to jump than other people. Mm -hmm. But it was still, you know, I was relatively successful in the corporate world and the idea of leaving that perceived safety. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably the best thing I ever did. Not only am I happier, but the company I used to work for, I honestly think is going to have a pretty tough next couple decades because they're all about big brands and big corporations when the new generations are moving away from that. And thinking I was going to have something secure in the future, honestly, I think that corporation's got nothing but downsizing in its future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of companies, well, I, I don't know. It feels like there's going to be giants no matter what, but there's a lot more fragmenting nowadays. Because because of the internet, you just have access to more things. I would say my generation, the millennials, they don't necessarily just look at the brand name and say, oh, this is the best because it's this brand. Yep. No, I agree. And I mean, the tools and access you guys have. When I started the aquatic shop, my online website for selling aquarium supplies, it cost us $75,000 to build the website at the time. Huh. Um, because there was no off-the-shelf, you know, shopping cart shop. We didn't have Shopify. We didn't have any of that stuff. It all had to be custom written. And so, yeah, when I look at how easy it is, whether it's an Amazon store or using tools like Shopify or CartJoy or all those type of things where you can be up and running easily, the opportunities are almost endless now. It's just a matter of finding your niche, finding your customer, and exploiting it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I tell people all the time, when I started college, Facebook didn't exist. Pretty much anything I use today did not exist when I started college. And yet entrepreneurship is actually uh, down. Over the last 25 years, it's been down. It amazes me. Yep. People, like I said, it, it's difficult to take the leap. I've got kids now, and it's uh, challenging because the whole school system, as they say, is designed to spit out employees. So. Mm -hmm. Everything about it is what what job are you going to get after college? And it takes some guts to look everyone in the eye and say, I'm not having a job. I'm, I'm creating my own business. Right. So let me ask, if you were, in, if you encountered that situation again, say you were that guy at Procter & Gamble again, really excited, how would you have handled it differently? Back with the experience I had with P&G with putting that deal together? Correct. 
with everything I know now, honestly, I probably would have negotiated ahead of time what my compensation was going to be for pulling that deal off. I maybe even would have considered quitting and negotiating that deal as a third-party broker. Maybe mm. tell my boss something along the lines of, hey, I've got this idea. You know, I know you want me to buy this software, but I think I can do something better. If I can get you the software for free, will you agree to give me a percentage of the action or something like that as an independent consultant? And he probably would have agreed to anything at that point and be like, software for free? Yeah, that's a great deal. I mean, sure. I probably could have gotten 50% of those warrants if I would have played my cards right. Because that guy would be happy to be under budget anyway. Oh, exactly. I, he was, I wish I could replay the meeting to you because <laughs> I, I'm sitting there with him. I'm like, his name was Charles, actually. I'm like, hey, Charles, you know, I know you gave me a budget of $300,000, but I talked the company into giving us the software for free. And he, he literally was like, what? I'm like, yeah, I, I talked him into giving us the software for free. He's like, how the hell did you do that? And I gave him the whole story. He's like, wow, really good job. We can really use that money. And I'm like, well, stop, boss. I'm not done yet. So right. when I told him I actually got stock options at the company, he was just like, how how did how did you talk somebody into giving you 10% in the company? And that wasn't even conceivable to him. So, yeah, I could have gone to him ahead of time and said, hey, boss, I got an idea. If I can get you the software for free, can I split the savings and profits with you 50-50? And he probably would have been like, yeah, sure, never realizing that what I meant was I would get 5% of a company about to go public. And then I would have walked away with $7.5 which is actually – would put me even further ahead and in a better position now. So if I would have leveraged what I knew and acted a little more like an entrepreneur instead of an employee back then, I could have turned that into something much, much more exciting. Right. Well, you live in your life. Yep. I would say that it's the most bitter tweet story we've had on here. <laughs> You're successful in one way, but unsuccessful in another. Yep. I, I got everything I wanted just to discover I didn't want it. And like you said, if I could rewind it and play those cards differently and sell myself differently and turn myself into an outside consultant for a percentage of the deal, I would have come out so much better on that deal. Right. Okay. Okay, Derek. So let's circle back again. I want to learn a bit more about what are your current projects right now? Sure. Well, there's a couple different things. I actually am invested in several different cleaning companies throughout the country. So while I sold mine, I mentioned that I've made some investments in some cleaning companies. So I own some parts of cleaning companies in St. Louis, Portland, Atlanta, and Dayton. So that's an industry I know. So when people have come to me with opportunities, it's pretty easy for me to evaluate it and figure out if it'll be profitable. Right. And in return for giving them the funding, I got a piece of it. I'm partners in a company that does some consulting for cleaning called Cleaning Business Builders. I own part of a cleaning publication called Cleaning Business Today. I do quite a bit of house flipping and landlording. I'm partners in a company called Cincinnati Pro Painting, which is another way you and I know each other because we've been working on sharing and reapplying some of the stuff we've learned in the painting space. Right. And the latest one, like I said, is I own Handyman Connection in Cincinnati, which they sound all disparate, but in a lot of ways, the things that I learned in the residential cleaning industry are the same tools I'm using in the handyman industry. The difference is we charge $100 an hour instead of $30 an hour. Huh. So it's a lot easier to scale because I've got more money for things like marketing and office staff. And the other great thing about it is I can leverage the employees and use them on things like my house flips and my landlording. So it's also made my real estate business easier because a lot of what drives people crazy in real estate is they can't find good contractors. Well, right. now, now I've got my own contractors. Yeah, that's fantastic. I've had a similar experience with starting a painting company. They have $150 a job. It's 2500 to $3,000 a job. Easier to scale, less headache per single job. 
Yeah, the great thing about residential cleaning is it's so easy to enter and it's so easy to get customers. And it was a great learning area. I learned a ton. And honestly, people who are in that industry, it is the hardest industry I've ever been in. So if you can be successful in that industry, what I figured out is you can be successful in almost any service industry. So those exact same skills can be moved to much higher profit industries where it's even easier to scale it. I fully agree with you. (laughs) Yeah, so Derek, great conversation. I, I know that you're ridiculously busy with the number of companies you just mentioned there. And what, are you in the office right now? I'm actually in the office right now. Nice. Well, it is remarkably quiet in there, so congrats on that. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice quiet office, and it's all the mile from my house. So that's the nice thing about being the boss. Oh, nice. Wait, when you when you purchased that company, was that office already there, or did you buy out, uh, did you switch to that office? I actually relocated the company. It was originally in a different location, but close enough that I could move it. But once again, that's part of what's nice about being the boss is that you can do that. And since I do some real estate, I knew I could get a pretty good deal on some things with some contacts I had. Right. No, that's a great idea. Okay. So Derek, again, it was great having you on here. Now, if someone wants to learn a bit more about your, uh, your franchise company, where would they go? Sure. Our website is actually blueash.handymanconnection.com. And that's the franchise that I'm part of. And it's interesting. I'm learning a lot about the franchise business. You know, a hardcore entrepreneur like me, it's always a little challenging to bend to other people's systems and platforms, but I'm also learning some of the benefits of it as well. Right. I've been hesitant to franchise it myself. So it's uh, good to hear that you're having that type of experience, a good one. Yeah, overall, it's been great for me. Maybe we'll talk about that someday. (laughs) All right. Well, Derek, uh, again, it's great having you on. Obviously, we'll be in touch for other reasons over the next few weeks. And have a good uh, rest of the weekend coming up. All right. You too. Thank you.